Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, joined as I am every Tuesday by scouting expert at Football Outsiders, Derek Klassen. Derek, how's it going? We're going we're gonna to hit on some, some week 15 waiver wire options. We're into the fantasy playoffs now, kind of dwindling. I think we have six guys to discuss. And they continue our train of doing the uh, the dynasty rookie draft at the end of the show, hitting on some running backs. You know, last week we did quarterbacks under 26 years old. I thought the 26 age was a pretty clever trick for running backs. It really wasn't good. Like Christian McCaffrey, still not 26. Joe Mixon, still not 26. It's going to be really tough to pair those guys down to 10. Uh, but yeah, what's going on, Derek? Sorry, rambling on as usual. Uh, nothing too much. I mean, it's, it's raining for once. I mean, I live in the central Valley of California, so that doesn't happen mm -hmm. very often. So you get a hundred percent chance of rain on a day and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, that's nothing, nothing else too interesting with me other than that. Well, that works. We probably should just jam on into this because we've got a lot to discuss. Uh, before we hit on the waiver wire guys for week 15 though, let me mention that FO plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's an opportunity to get our stats analysis, fantasy and betting info at a really good price. So check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show. And Derek, let's get this thing rolling with a player that fantasy players I think have been waiting to break out for a long time. It's former first round pick Rashad Penny of the Seahawks. Finally had a really excellent game. 16 carries, 137 yards and two touchdowns. Pretty much dominated the backfield in terms of work. 57% of snaps versus just 23% for Alex Collins and 18% for DJ Dallas. But what are your thoughts? Do you think that the eye test kind of matched up with what we saw statistically from him? Not really, truthfully. Um, I, I know a lot of the, you know, Collins didn't run particularly well in this game. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to make the argument that like, oh, Houston's run defense is just bad. But like it is. They, they yeah. have bled a lot of talent, um, especially. I mean, they just let go of Zach Cunningham, um, I, I think, right before this game, like a couple days before this game. And like Zach Cunningham is. There was a point in time where he was the best run defending linebacker in the NFL. And he still is like one of them, even despite some of his struggles in I coverage. Think so this last offseason was was the time that was at least didn't ESPN roll out like basically a continuation of their pass block win rate, pass rush win rate, and that kind of stuff. They did that with running, and he was like the closest tackler to to running plays or something. Like it there was some fancy way of describing that he may still have been the best running stopping linebacker in football. I, yeah, I think it was like how many of his tackles are like close to the line of scrimmage or, or mm -hmm. something along that line, like how little yardage he's giving up per per tackle or whatever. And yeah, he's, I think uh, maybe it was Seth Walder had tweeted that like for like three years running, he's been the top guy in that. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, it's not like a one for one, like who is the best. But the fact that he's consistently up there literally every year is like to lose that and then to go to some of the, you know, obviously the depth on this team around the entire roster is not very good. So to take him away from that and then like their defensive line to me is not particularly great. So like, to me, it just kind of felt like they lost their best player on run defense, didn't know how to handle it. And Rashad Penny happened to have a very good game, but like, to me, I don't think he looked any different than he usually does. I think it was just a very opportunistic uh, chance for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's going to pour cold water on this. If, it feels better knowing that you can sort of see the same thing, but like it screams to me matchup, right? The Texans for the season, the number 28 run defense, it probably didn't get better losing Cunningham, right? Uh, and because they have a pretty big disparity between their pass and run defense too, and they, they tend to fall behind in games, they tend to increase their opponent's run plays by 13% per game. They also increase rushing yards and touchdowns by 13% and 27% per carry, like all of these factors that make them one of the best matchups for running backs in fantasy football. 
to me, like you want to prove it to me, it's going to be different. Do it this week against the Rams. They're number two in run defense. And while they're neutral in terms of, of run plays, because they're a really good defense overall, they've been a big cutter of both rushing yards and touchdowns per attempt. And it's just, it seems so hard to me. It's it's not even so much about Penny or about Collins or any of these guys, but the Seahawks have a, a bottom seven run blocking offensive line with 3.98 adjusted line yards. I'm just not sure anyone short of a Marshawn Lynch type could really make it work behind this line. And I'm not going to take one game to convince me otherwise. I don't know if you feel any differently about that. No, I totally agree. I, I mean, if anything, it is encouraging that he got so much of the workload over the other guys. Um, but again, like, I just don't see how this production is supposed to hold up. Yeah, I mean, to your point, do it do it against the Rams. I mean, and the thing is, too, like, the Rams, obviously, I think you said they're number two in run defense DVOA. Mm. They've also, like, continually gotten better over the course of yeah, the year. Like, really early in the year, they were, like, good, but not as good as we thought they were going to be at run defense coming into the year. Now they are really hitting their stride, and it feels like they they might be the best unit at that in the league. So, yeah, do it, do it this week, and I think I'll buy in. But after a Houston game, I'm not there yet. Yeah, and I mean, we bring this up a lot, but Penny also benefited from two breakaway carries, 132 yards, 147 yards for a touchdown to kind of, I mean, the game was pretty much over, but to basically end the game at that point too. Like those are the kind of things that to me, they don't always tell you where the workload is going. You did mention that again, yeah, like he did dominate his backfield in his 57% snap share. That was his high for the season by 14%. And it's like basically nobody on the Seahawks has been over 50% since weeks five and six kind of range. So I think you could read this as him sort of taking control of the backfield. And Adrian Peterson wasn't even elevated from the practice squad for this game. So I think it, it kind of tells you that he's out of this mix too, barring injuries. But yeah, the, to me, there's a lot of signs here that point to maybe this isn't a player to, to spend all of your fab on. Uh, I know that you're looking for that sort of like impact player with the fantasy playoffs here. And if you need a starter, you kind of need one. But I just don't think Penny's necessarily going to be a guy. I would be very surprised if I ended up ranking him in the top 24 among running backs this week. Uh, on the YouTube chat, and again, I always forget to mention that we're live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. You can watch us live on YouTube and chat with us there. Also stream us live on Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. But Joey Sucks, fan favorite, mentions that Houston's recent team-building strategy has heavily involved getting rid of its best players. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a joke, but it's also kind of true. So, yeah, it's hmm. – I'd like, like to see three it. now, too. Mm. It's not even just this year. <laughs> no, no, it's it's really not. Bill O'Brien was maybe the original good coach, but bad GM sabotaging himself. And it's, it was all set up really poorly for what's left and it's, it's not good with what's left. So I don't know, Penny, if you do this against the Rams, then I'm going to be bought in and it's probably going to be too late to, to add you in fantasy at that point. But you know, with a playoff game on the line in fantasy, I'm just not going to trust him right now. All right, Derek, let's move on then to the next waiver wire option, a player that I'm not sure is going to have any value at all, honestly, but Josh Palmer, the rookie wide receiver for the LA Chargers, had a really nice game substituting for Keenan Allen on the COVID list last week. I thought that maybe it would be Jalen Guyton, but you know, Guyton maintained his pretty typical 50 to 60% snap share and had the unbelievable deep catch on just like maybe the most impressive Justin Herbert throw of the season in a season full of them. Uh, but but Palmer was clearly the beneficiary of Allen's absence. He jumped from his typical 30 to 40% snap share range up over 80% and had seven targets, five catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. You know, it feels like Herbert could just be a star maker. It could maybe make it work for anybody playing wide receiver. But, like, what was your read of Palmer, the player? Is he somebody that maybe has a really nice future? 
Uh, I'm not so sold on that yet. Um, I think his top end speed is, is really bad. Like, I just don't think mm. he can really take the top off like that. Um, what I will say is I thought it was, <clears throat> I think the reason he got a lot of usage over Guyton was just that like his skill set kind of better simulates what Keenan Allen can do. He's kind of like that bigger bodied. You can put him in like the slot. You can put him on the the line of scrimmage really like they had a they had like a wide leak play basically where they motioned him out from like the slot they put him opposite their other tight end on the line of scrimmage and then he did that like leak up to the yeah. backside um so just stuff like that the fact that you can put him tight to the core because he can block i think is really interesting and i think gives him some value um and i think is why he's able to to fit in for keenan allen the way that he did but um to me i think this pretty much only runs as far as keenan allen is not in in, in the lineup Sure. Um, because like, I just don't think he adds enough other value. Like he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. He's like a bully. Um, I think his like acceleration and like short yardage athleticism is pretty good, but again, he's just not going to take the top off. He's not that threatening in space. So, um, again, I think he, he, he did a really good job fitting in for the Keenan Allen role. He's obviously not going to be as good. And so when Keenan Allen comes back, I think it's just hard to imagine how any of this continues. I mean, totally with you, at least for the rest of this season. I think that's a no-brainer. Um, to me, the reason that I even really bring this up is the fact that the the Chargers play the Chiefs on Thursday night. So it's like the short turnaround thing. It's the situation that knocked Amari Cooper out for two consecutive games. Uh, the, the the quirk here being, though, that like Keenan Allen is reportedly vaccinated. So like he just needs the two negative tests. And it's possible he may even hit the like the 10-day period when he doesn't even need tests to get back for Thursday. I think he landed on co- on the COVID list last Monday, December the 6th. But like, I don't know. We'll, we'll know by game time. And the fact that it's the first game means that like, you won't have to stress this roster decision too much. It's just the fact that, you know, if, if Allen really has COVID, then maybe he won't be ready to play from a conditioning standpoint. And it could be more time for Palmer. I don't know. Like to me, it's interesting enough that I would want him on my fantasy bench right now, because I make, it's hard not to see him as, as sort of a top end flex option at the very least. If Allen doesn't play, Allen was, top five or so in the league in target percentage. And they're just, there just aren't that many bodies to throw to in an offense that's really going to want to throw. I, I do. I do think for this week specifically, it's probably good just because again, yeah, even if Allen is back, we don't know how much he's going to play. And then we don't know if he's going to be back, that sort of thing, but just long term, yeah. not sure what we're at. Agreed. And useful was useful was first comments on this too, in the, on the YouTube chat that he would doubt that he'll keep that snap share once Keenan Allen's back. I think that's yeah. obviously true. I mean, for sure, because like, both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen have been very consistent in their work their at least their playing time, if not necessarily their target share week to week with those two. I think the Chargers may be more than any team, but the Vikings, you very much know who the guys are. Right. So again, this this is just like a backup situation in case that it doesn't work out with, with Keenan Allen. But I'm curious about Palmer long term. I mean, Mike Williams is a free agent this offseason. I was surprised the team didn't didn't, you know, work out an extension, pick up the option, whatever the case may be. So it, Palmer could be a fantasy relevant player sooner than you would expect. Um, I just don't know whether it's going to be this week or not, but I- I'll take the risk and add him to the, to my fantasy lineups if I can. Uh, we do have another question here. It's a start sit question from Charlie. We'll get to that at the end of the show. Keep sending in those questions, any trade questions and stuff. We're going to get to all of that, but to keep the flow of things going, let's keep going with another waiver option for week 15 is basically a similar situation to the one I just mentioned, Jeff Wilson running back for the San Francisco 49ers. To me, he clearly played the lead back role for the 49ers last week. 59% snap share versus 20% for Jermichael Hasty. You might argue that Debo Samuel is the number one running back for the team, but whatever the case is, he's the lead running back when Elijah Mitchell is out. 
And Mitchell, like, it's not just the concussion. He's also dealing with an aggravation of his knee injury that he had earlier in the year. I don't know if he's going to be back this week. So if Mitchell isn't back, do you think that it's a sort of similar deal where you would trust Wilson as a top-end flex option? I would say maybe just because I think I've said this a billion times before. I just generally trust what Kyle Shanahan um, is doing in the way that he can construct offense, the way that he can generate explosive plays, particularly in the run game. What I would say is that so when Debo Samuel started to get a lot of runs like outside, I at first thought it was because they didn't have speed and have healthy running backs, which I think is still partly true. I also think it's because they don't trust their offensive line um, yeah. to be able to block inside the way that, you know, I think after, you know, three months, Kyle Shanahan has kind of realized that like our better blockers, like relative to their position are our tight ends and wide receivers. So it makes mm-hmm. more sense to try to generate these, these plays that can hit outside with, with Devo Samuel and stuff. So um, I almost just like wonder how much volume the, the actual running backs are going to get as the, as the season like kind of comes to a close, just because, Again, I don't know if he trusts his guys to, to win inside consistently. I mean, the right side of their line in particular, yeah. very bad. Daniel Brunskill is not a good guard. Their center situation is not particularly great night, right now. I don't think Alex Mack is playing as well as he has in the past. Um, and then their right tackle situation has just kind of been, you know, a circus for the most of the year. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of Trent Williams or bust. But, like, he and Kittle can sort of seal off the left side and make those kind of sweepy plays really effective. I mean, that that thought, which I agree with, may kind of sabotage my next point, which is that Wilson has been a very effective touchdown scorer the last couple of years. He's ninth among running backs with 50 or more carries with 4.98 rushing touchdowns per 100 touches, 22nd with 4.08 expected touchdowns per 100 touches. So like my, my general thought is that if the 49ers got into those kind of goal-to-go situations, Wilson would very obviously be the guy to me which kind of voices value. And that hasn't really been necessary of late because Debo Samuel keeps scoring from 20 plus yards out. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> they haven't really been getting those opportunities, but like, do you think the interior offensive line might sabotage those efforts anyway? So like, maybe that's why George Kittle is suddenly getting all these targets in the end zone. Like traditionally he's been really used more as a blocker than a, a red zone threat in his own right. Even though obviously he would be good at it. It, it does seem like the 49ers are playing things differently because of other personnel. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Like, they are just, they kind of have to be more of an outside finesse team than I think they have wanted to be in the past. I mean, they've always ran outside zone, but I mean, like, really hitting the perimeter yeah. with, like, sweeps and all these other stuff. Um, and like you said, even getting Kittle more involved inside the 10, just because they can't run the ball the way that I, I think they've been able to do in years past. So, yeah, I kind of think it's a situation where just the offensive line is not as good as it used to be. And even though Jeff Wilson's fine, like he's not their top back. So I don't think that they want to, yeah. you know, use him. I don't think they want to run the ball as much as they, they would if they had their their favorite backs in the lineup. Makes sense to me. Now, I think from a fantasy perspective, from a waiver wire perspective, Penny is definitely the, the one of those two you would prefer because he's the one that could last the rest of the season in the role, assuming that Mitchell isn't really going to have serious time off. But assuming they both started this week, which of those two do you think makes more sense to play in fantasy? I mean, I just don't really like Penny against the Rams. Like that just seems not tenable to me. <laughs> I mean, he would have to have the game of his his life. Um, like we mentioned earlier, like behind that offensive line in particular. Yeah. So um, even if I don't love what Jeff Wilson is and what the offense is for a running back right now, um, in terms of volume, I think I would probably just take Jeff Wilson anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, I feel the same way, and I think that may surprise people and be an easier player to acquire on your waiver wire. And so, like, I think it's worth bringing up. All right, we got a couple more waiver wire guys to hit before we move on to the dynasty running back draft portion of today's show. A player that I know you've been eager to discuss, Derek, Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. I mean, whenever you can have Lions talk, you got to have it on the show. Uh, but from a fantasy perspective, I got to say it's been going really well for him. He's had 12 targets each of the last two weeks. Obviously, I guess sort of famously had that game-winning catch against the, the Vikings and the only the only win for the Lions <laughs> so far this season. Maybe you blame the Vikings more than that than necessarily Lobb St. Brown, but those 24 targets the last two weeks, that's the third most among wide receivers behind just Chris Godwin and Justin Jefferson. So, like, we've seen the formula of a bad team needing to pass from game script reasons before kind of turn players into fantasy success stories. And St. Brown seems to be on the rise from a fantasy perspective do you like what you've been seeing at all from him from a real world perspective? I, I mean, to me, he's probably just always going to be like a role player to me. I mean, I think he functions really well in the underneath area. Um, I think he does a good job, like being able to settle underneath defenders in between zones, that sort of thing. His hands are pretty good for um, a guy who is a little bit more wiry um, to me. So like the problem is he just, I don't think one, I think from a fantasy from a real life perspective, I don't think he takes the top off particularly well i also think you have the issue of like jared goff doesn't want to do that generally anyway sure. like he's just not yeah. very good at throwing deep unless it's like a clear play action shot play and even then they've really targeted their tight ends i think a lot more recently on that sort of stuff uh, with hawkinson and even brock Wright a couple of weeks ago so i don't know how explosive amon ross st brown can be um i think he's just gonna have to be like one of these high volume um underneath guys but i think to your point the Lions are going to have to throw all the time like that. They keep getting worse and they keep getting more behind in games. It feels like. So I think just by sheer volume, he's going to be a decent play. And you just hope to God that the Lions can actually get into the red zone. You know, I didn't even write this down, but obviously a huge factor. Hawkinson didn't play last week. So like mm -hmm. that could have definitely influenced the continued uptick in St. Brown's workload. But I'll say too, that like the snap share points to me that at least some increase, this makes some sense. Like, he had only reached 75% snaps one time between weeks one and 10. He's been 85%, 98%, 96%, and 75% the last four weeks. Now that's part of a sort of a, you know, a, a, a 13 personnel, I guess it, it would be. Uh, no, that's not right. Whatever. I can't, I can't do scouting talk, whatever. They play three receivers constantly with he, Josh Reynolds now with the team is kind of the number one outside receiver and then Khalif Raymond. So like, it, it's not a situation where, He's clearly one of a small number of guys, but I, I do think that this could be kind of a flex rain issue. You said there's limitations, but like, how does he stack up to somebody like Hunter Renfro, another player that's been getting a lot of targets of late that seems like a more specialized skill set, but with enough targets, he could really turn into a good fantasy option. Is, is he kind of in that range at all in your mind? I think Renfro is better um I, I will say the difference is that i think amon ross st brown can do a little bit more outside i think his body is just a little bit more geared to being able to play out there a little bit more um but i think generally they're both going to be attacking similar areas um i will say though that both of them kind of have like a very clear role among their wide receiver cores um they're like to me they're all the only guys who can target that area among their wide receiver core on their respective teams like with um St. Brown in particular, like on the, the Lions, like Khalif Raymond is pretty much only a field stretcher. Like that's really all he can do. He's just very fast. Um, and you just pray to God he can take the top off. And then Reynolds, to me, 
one is just not very good. Um, but also to me, he's more of like a horizontal field stretcher where you're trying to get him on over routes, um, maybe like back shoulders on the on the sideline and stuff. Whereas Amon Ross St. Brown like pretty clearly fits into a different mold than those type of guys. Um, so he, to me, he at least has like a clear role, no matter how good or, or bad I really think he is. Yeah. I'll point out that like while playing the Cardinals this week, it seems really scary because they're the number three pass defense DVOA overall. They are particularly strong against number one wideouts, cutting their touchdown rate by 24%. They've been a bit of a booster for the slot receivers, so it may not be quite as scary a matchup for him specifically this week. Uh, before we move on, I'll say Joey Sucks roasted me absolutely appropriately for not knowing the difference between 11 and 12 and all that <laughs> stuff personnel. I got tricked because I was thinking three receivers. I, I'm pretty sure that the first number is running backs and the second number is tight ends. Am I, yes. am I right about that, Derek? Yeah, that's correct. So but three, three receivers would be 11 personnel. Yeah, That may be the, the full extent of my scouting knowledge, but <laughs> I, I feel like I do know that. I'm just a little flustered right now. Uh, okay, a couple more guys to hit on for the waiver wire. This one, I'm not really sure how much of a waiver option it really is, but I thought it was worth discussing. Alan Lazard, wide receiver for the Packers. I said just a 1% fab bid here. You'd probably have to be in a deep league before you consider him. But I'll point out that Aki had only had three targets once all season, suddenly had seven targets last week, and he actually led the Packers in slot percentage, uh, ran 17 of his 53 total snaps out of the slot. And that's obviously not normally what his deal is. He's six foot five, 227 pounds, seems like a pretty traditional outside guy. But like, is this the Packers answer to not having Randall Cobb down the stretch this year? And like, could that work? Like, does Lazard have the skill set to really be effective out of the slot? It, it, to me, he's interesting because really the way that they used him is almost more like a pseudo tight end, which kind of makes sense in the uh, yeah. with them also like not having Tunyon. Um, but like it, he had he had the deep over route, obviously, like where he was lined up in the slot and like Rogers threw just a ridiculous ball, like right over a defender. Um, but a lot of the other stuff he was doing is like, you know, they would go to trips and he would be the big body like as the number two um, just outside of Adams who Adams, they get in the number three spot all the way inside. Cause he's just very hard Freak. to cover him from yep. with that much space. <laughs> um, but like they'll run Lazard on like a lot of like slants. Um, like they had one play where they just like pretty much they, they ran him across like behind the line of scrimmage. And then he just leaked out the way that you see tight ends do. Like they just leak out into the flat. Um, like I said, they pretty much got him into a lot of situations where he was blocking near the core of the formation or they would like play action off of making it look like he was going to honestly yeah. they used him a lot of ways that like the rams use cooper cup um because cooper cup is honestly like a pseudo tight end in the way that they use him um obviously lazard is nowhere near as talented but that's like kind of the same role which makes a lot of sense when you consider like the family of offenses that mm -hmm. the rams and the the packers kind of share so i think it probably is this is only going to last for as long as cobb is, is out of the lineup but I think they at least proved that he can be functional for as long as, as Cobb is out of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really interesting because given the explosiveness, you feel like you wouldn't have to get up to like nine targets for this to be an effective fantasy option. Right. So another player that maybe put on your bench for a week and see if he gets another six plus targets. And if he does, then maybe you really can, you know, put him in your lineup for the last week or two of the fantasy playoffs. Deeper league, probably more than anything else, but an interesting one to keep your eye on. And then finally, Derek, uh, a player that I screwed up but luckily you probably know more about him than anybody else in football justin fields quarterback for the bears you were saying before the show that it's funny how the the statistics don't always match up with what you're seeing from a performance standpoint but the reason i keep bringing fields up as a fantasy option is really more the rushing than anything else because 
He averaged just three carries a game in his first three starts. And now over his last five healthy starts, ex- you know, excluding the week 11 game that he exited early and then missed a game or two after that. But 8.2 carries per game in his last five healthy starts. And it's kind of up there in the, not the Lamar Jackson world of a 35% carry share, but up in that like Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen kind of carry share range with a 28% carry share. So you can see the style that could work from a fantasy perspective. What have you seen from Fields' development as a passer? Yeah, like you like you mentioned, this game was weird because I think, you know, when he was previously putting up like really bad numbers um, for the, his first, you know, seven starts or whatever, for the most yeah. part, I was pretty adamant that he was still playing like well for a rookie and it just there were drops or the offensive line, yada, yada, yada. This game was funny because it was kind of the opposite where I thought he kind of just played okay and honestly maybe one of his worst games of the year as a passer but he kind of still put up a bunch of numbers and touchdowns because they finally got some of these weird plays um, with like the jet touch pass that went for a touchdown and then like uh, the angle route out of the backfield to I think I think it was Demir Bird um, Demir Bird and Jakeem Grant just running loose yeah like it it was just like all of the bad fortune had kind of uh, (laughs) came back for him in this game a little bit um but generally, I'm still really high on what he is as a player. And I think you can see every week he's just getting a little bit better at, at the way that he's throwing off the top of his drop, the way that he's understanding like, OK, this is when I need to bail the pocket. This is when I need not to. I think that's why he's become a valuable rusher over the past handful of weeks or whatever is because I think he's getting good at knowing, oh, this play is just dead. I have to just bail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like a lot of his rushing really isn't from design stuff and it could be because he's very he's a very good athlete and it could be more design but like a lot of it is just like he's getting better at understanding when he needs to bail the pocket and um making plays with his legs and and stuff like that so i think he's still because of the way he plays where he is always trying to anticipate things and like throw them at the as fast as he can it's going to lead to some interceptions like the Russell douglas one the the yeah, pick six like pick six. he was trying to throw that on the break the receiver kind of like drifted a little bit too far and like he can just undercut it. Um, so stuff like that's going to happen just with the way that he plays. But I think that bodes well for his future because he's really trying to play quarterback the hard way. And that you just, when you're a rookie, you're going to have some hard lessons. I think is just the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and Fields is, and is probably going to continue to be in a duel with Zach Wilson for the worst DVOA among passers yeah. this season. I, I think he's in too deep a hole to dig out of it. But I'll mention that like, if you're willing to like dig a little bit deeper into that, you remember the beginning of his starting run was just like so devastating. He, I think he had like eight sacks in his, his first game as a starters, like catastrophically bad. And it was really bad from a passing DVOA perspective. And remember that sacks are included in that, even if they're not included in some of the traditional quarterback metrics. And so like, if you just start looking at splits since like week six or whenever, like when they actually started making some game plan adjustments to suit fields, skill set a little bit, you know, novel concept there for the bears <laughs> that like, it's, it's bad, but not nearly as bad. It's like negative 19% passing DVOA, not negative 38%. Like it's a, it's a really big difference. And like it, it has him ahead, like way, way ahead of Zach Wilson, obviously. I mean, Derek, you've mentioned that I don't think he's the one guy that we're already giving up on, but like it's ahead of Trevor Lawrence too. Like it's, it's like a bad, but not terrible rookie season to me. It's like, it's discouraging, but it, it by no means in my mind disqualifies him from having a really nice career as an NFL starter. And then plus when you add in the running, the rushing, like it, it really could be a very important option for you in fantasy. I think I'm pretty optimistic from him from a dynasty perspective. I'm not sure I'm going to trust him down the stretch here in deeper leagues, but I can see the, the logic of why you might. 
All right, I think that that runs through all of the players that we wanted to discuss from a waiver wire perspective. Again, kind of down to the crunch time there uh, for for the fantasy playoffs. But while we still have time on the show, about half an hour, we have time to do some more dynasty draft content and talk about some of the other young players. Get your scouting opinions on, on these guys, Derek. Last time we did quarterbacks under 26 years old. This time we're doing running backs under 26 years old. And as mentioned, it's a lot harder uh, to, to narrow that list down because 26 is, is kind of an old age for, for running backs, I would say. It does knock out Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and James Conner. So like, that's a pretty sweet list of guys that they're, they're not going to be eligible for the draft just to give you kind of an idea of things. But I think, still think it's going to be pretty hard. Uh, Derek, I don't know. Do you want to go first or second? I think the first choice is pretty obvious, and then it gets a little bit trickier from there. Um, I don't mind going first this time, but yeah, I mean, to your point, it's got to be Jonathan Taylor. Like he's yes. just, it's, it's the perfect marriage of talent. I, I mean, just the way that he's running. I mean, to me, he already had a good rookie year last year, but to me, the way that he's developed his vision and just getting more comfortable, um, really getting his foot in the ground and just mm. getting upfield on a lot of their concepts, um, especially a lot of their pulling stuff to me is just really impressive. And then obviously just athletically, he's just insane. I mean, he's built like a bigger kind of bulkier back, um, where he can take contact. He can, he can run with balance, all that sort of stuff. But like, he's maybe the best home run hitter in the NFL right now, outside of like he a healthy Chubb. Derrick Henry. Yeah. yeah. Him and Chubb are like, those are like the three, like those dudes can hit home runs with the best of them. Um, I actually think he and Chubb are like really similar runners. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Taylor to me is just and then just situationally, like I think for as long as Frank Reich is there and like this is the structure of the offense, they're going to run the ball a lot and want to structure the offense to make Jonathan Taylor work. So it's just a perfect marriage of talent and scheme, I think. Yeah, I mean, no brainer. I'm going to spend some time on this just because it's fun to talk about Taylor, but obviously yeah. <laughs> the number one guy. You, you mentioned the Chubb comparison. I like it, too. So Taylor has 2.8 yards after contact per attempt. That's second best among running backs with Nick Chubb. I would say there's sort of three pillars that you're looking for from a running back, like in a perfect world, you're looking for rushing efficiency. And for me, that either typically means like avoided tackles or it means yards after contact, if not both. Taylor does have both, but like elite yards after contact guy. You're looking for receiving efficiency. Taylor has 2.7 yak plus per catch. That's the third best among running backs with 25 or more targets. He's at 2.7. Kamara's at 2.8. So we have Nick Chubb, the runner. We have Alvin Kamara, the receiver. Then you're looking for like work in, you know, in and around the goal line, right? 77 red zone carries and targets, by far the most of the position. Fournette has 59, Eckler 52, no one else over 50. So it's like 50% more than the field in terms of red zone opportunities. Obviously, the offense is really built around him and everything, but man, like what an incredible fantasy player Taylor is. Obviously, real life too, but uh, yeah, that's a no brainer number one. After him, it already gets kind of tricky for me, if I'm being honest. Um, so let me know what you think of this, Derek. I went with Najee Harris, number two. I think it obviously helps that he's on the younger side of things. He's a rookie. Um, but I love that he's getting so much work, too. 24 carries plus targets per game. That's the fourth highest among running backs this season. Derek Henry's still number one there, up near 30. Kamara, two. Dalvin Cook. And then Jonathan Taylor there. So, like, Taylor's at 22.2, just below Harris. But like those two are kind of separating themselves from the other younger set of here. And so I like that. And I like the fact that Harris is getting a lot of work near the, the goal line too. 9.7 expected rushing and receiving touchdowns is also fourth highest among running backs. And he scored nine times. 
I think it's true that the Steelers aren't really the, the ideal situation from a surrounding talent perspective. You're probably going to have the quarterback transition from Ben Roethlisberger in the offseason. Who knows what they're going to come up with there. They have one of the really worst run-blocking offensive lines in football. Hard to see that getting better in the short term. But if you're kind of of the thought that opportunity is the king in, in these sort of opportunities um, from fantasy perspective, Harris is going to have those opportunities. And I feel good that Mike Tomlin has pretty much always relied on a featured back. I feel like Harris is going to be that for the next several years at least. And so he's my number two. I mean, absolutely. I, the, if if I had had the number two pick, I would have taken Harris too. Because just like you said, the volume is, is obviously going to be there. Um, I think Tomlin very clearly trusts him, not just as a runner, but they use him in the passing game all the time, both yeah. as a receiver and as a pass blocker. He's really, really good at that. So it, it's not like he's just this good runner who you have to take off the field for other stuff for other role players. Like he, he's a legitimate three down every phase of the game type of running back. Um, and, and honestly, like their, their running game <clears throat> or their run blocking isn't good right now, but like, I have faith in the Steelers organization that they can get that turned around sooner rather than later. I don't think it would be the situation where they try to fix it and they fall flat on their face. I, I think mm -hmm. they will be able to, within the next year or two, figure it out. Um, just cause again, I trust that organization. So, um, yeah, that, that would have been my pick. Sweet. Um, then who you got at number three? Man, like you said, it gets really <laughs> tricky. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I will go with Joe Mixon, even though I really don't trust the Bengals at all, like just generally as an organization. Um, I don't really trust them to figure out their offensive line. I think they've tried and, and have generally failed. Um, but I just think that like from an individual talent perspective, he's just – he's incredibly explosive. Um, I think he – generally runs pretty well between the tackles, even though like the, that team is very telegraphed when they're going to run between the tackles, when they get under center, like I swear to God, it's like a 95% split when they get under center, they're running the ball. Um, so I think even despite that, the fact that he's um, as effective as he is, is really impressive to me. He's really good in space. Um, I think that's why he's a particularly good pass catcher, even if um, I think they probably could get the ball to him more in that respect. So I think just from like an individual explosive talent standpoint, he is one of the best at the position right now. It's just a matter of like, can the Bengals figure out their offensive line? I don't know, but I'm willing to bet on his talent at least. Yeah, Joey Sucks mentions, isn't Joe 50 years old? And I kind of had the same initial reaction, actually both with he and Christian McCaffrey, but they are both 25. I actually think Mixon entered the league a year younger than a typical like mm -hmm. three-year college player. Um, so he is still 25 and like stacking those two up against each other. Like it's hard not to choose Mixon as the player that's been dramatically healthier recently. I know right, he like too. entering the year, he had a bit of a, a, like a health, you know, reputation as being banged up a lot, but he's played a lot more games than I think he would realize, including all season this season. And he's kind of the last guy in that, that mix of, of numbers I was talking about for Najee Harris, the 21.5 carries plus targets per game this year is six. Most of the position 9.1 expected rushing and receiving touchdowns is tied for fifth most and has 14 touchdowns. Like I would say kind of lucky to have the touchdown number he he has really the whole Bengals offense is like that. <laughs> um, but like, I still think he's going to be one of the, the better touchdown scorers at the position, providing the real versatility as the rusher receiver and the touchdown score, obviously very appealing from a fantasy perspective. I had him fourth and I mentioned that I had McCaffrey in that mix too is fifth, but I actually have a different player third, We've disagreed a little bit on him before, but Javante Williams, I didn't really need to see the start two weeks ago to, to feel like that this is like a future star player, but it didn't hurt to see him rack up nearly 200 <laughs> yards 
in that opportunity. And like the more he gets work, it doesn't really put any dent in the stat that I love to say is that he's number one among running backs in avoided tackle rate, 18.6%, kind of well ahead of everybody. Ramondre is at, is at 15%, McCaffrey at 13%, and then A.J. Dillon is fourth at 10.9% of the guys with 100 or more carries. So like Javante Williams is almost like twice as good a tackle breaker as pretty much anyone else at the position. And like another player that I think is versatile as a runner and as a receiver and is a good pass blocker, et cetera, we haven't really had the, the huge opportunities to see it, but I'll be really curious to see what Denver does um, with, I feel like Melvin Gordon, maybe having his best year of his career, but also ending up going to be a free agent in the off season. I feel like Williams is going to end up being a, a workhorse type of player, um, but I feel like the downside to me is Nick Chubb. And so I feel really good about that in a young player. Williams is just tough for me to parse because he's one of the most explosive players at the position already. And like you said, like just as a pure tackle breaker, he is, I mean, statistically he's the best by a wide margin. And just, I mean, even just the eye test, he looks like one of the best, like the power when he, when you get to him is pretty rare. And the way that he can accelerate after he gets contact is, is pretty insane. Um, to me, it's just like, I think the the consistency of his game is just not there at all in terms of vision um to me as a pass blocker he's been better than i thought he was going to be but he's still not close to what melvin gordon is in my opinion sure um so i don't know like to me i don't know what the broncos want to do in terms of like are they going to just kind of commit to his volatility as as the workhorse back um i don't know and i think what's also interesting to me is like his effective yards um you know per DVOA or whatever are like significantly lower than what his actual yards is, which suggests to me that he's kind of just um, getting some favorable looks and, and that sort of thing. So um, I don't know. I still really like Williams and he would have been my four behind Mixon. I just, mm -hmm. I think to me, the floor is lower um, from a real life perspective, which kind of makes me worried about what his volume could be moving forward. I think that makes sense. All right. Who do you have at fifth? Do you have McCaffrey like I would? I mean, this... <laughs> I mean, from a pure talent perspective, McCaffrey to me would probably be like number two. It's just like, I, I don't know what the health situation is going to be. But honestly, a lot of the other guys, I think, probably have too many holes themselves. Mm -hmm. So I guess I will just, I'll probably just be comfortable betting on hoping that McCaffrey can be healthy. Because I think just in terms of like a three down player, like we mentioned, like it's really hard to find anybody better than Christian McCaffrey. He's obviously a really good runner. Um, he can both be explosive and he can be efficient when the offensive line isn't bottom three in the in the NFL. <laughs> um, he's really good out of the backfield. He's one of the few running backs who you can actually split out as a receiver and like not just run that like token go ball on the sideline just to clear out yeah. space. But like he can actually run routes like a like a real player. Um, and then I think his pass protection is, you know, maybe not the flashiest in the league, but I think he can get the job done. So like I think really it's just a matter of how much can Carolina fix their offensive line. But to me, it's kind of like the Joe Mixon thing where I'm going to just bet on the individual talent and hope that they can kind of get closer to normal. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be funny that I agree with you when I and I mentioned the next player that I'm going to mention who's like the other end of the health spectrum with this. Mm -hmm. But like compared to a player like Saquon Barkley, who we'll bring up in a little bit too, it, it makes me feel good that McCaffrey, at least the efficiency has still been really strong when he's played. Mm -hmm. Like I know he's missed more games than he's played the last two years. But a 13% avoided tackle rate this season, I mentioned that before, that's third best among running backs with 100 or more carries. He's exactly at 100. Um, also 0.147 receiving plus minus per target. That's first among running backs with, a, with, I think it was maybe 25 or more targets. I wrote that down wrong. But the point is, 
still incredibly efficient as both a runner and receiver. And I tend to fall in the bucket of health can be kind of a luck related thing more than anything else. I mean, it doesn't make me feel good that McCaffrey's had as much work as that he has and that he's relatively undersized compared to a player like Jonathan Taylor, player that I might expect to be a little bit more durable in the long term. Uh, but like when you're getting down to this point, I think a lot of these other players have flaws too. So I'll take the one that I feel like has demonstrated the elite the, the elite upside, even if I'm not 100% sure I'm going to get it every week. And then to mention that the zag here too with number six, this will probably surprise you, but I went with Josh Jacobs here at six. And if you look at some of his traditional metrics, yards per carry in particular, it looks really bad. Like 3.8 yards per carry since 2020. That's like half a yard less than an average running back. It's actually the fifth worst of running backs with 200 or more carries in that time. So that seems really bad. But I'll say that Jacobs, I think some of those stats, they kind of miss on the fact that some players get more difficult carries than others. And Jacobs is a player that's always in there for the third and shorts and near the goal line. And so if you look from a rushing success perspective, the 49.6% rushing success rate is more middle of the pack. I'm not sure Jacobs is like an elite talented player, but I think he's, he's pretty good. And the fact that he's getting so much work and surviving that work makes me feel really good about it. So 773 carries plus targets since 2019 when he entered the league, that's fifth most. And everybody in front of him is over 26. You got Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, and then Joe Mixon is right behind him. I think Mixon is a little bit more versatile, but Jacobs for me, like I feel better about him surviving this work and he's still just 23 years old. So like, I feel like you've got a window of potential to trust him there. What are your thoughts on Jacobs, Derek? I mean, I actually fall into the same bucket where I think Josh Jacobs is actually this year. I think he's not been as good as he was in years past, but I think we've seen him be a very, very good player, especially when the offensive line is a little bit better than it is. I mean, they've been horrendous at run blocking this year. Um, and they really haven't even tried to run the ball um, as well or as, you know, I don't think it's been like core function to their offense the way that it has been in years past. So um, I still really like Jacobs as a player. To me, it's kind of a similar situation to like Najee Harris in yeah. Pittsburgh, where it's just like he very clearly is going to continue to get volume. You just kind of have to hope that they can figure out their offensive line situation. I don't know if I trust Las Vegas to do that as much <laughs> as I trust Pittsburgh to do that. Yeah. Um, which is why he's maybe a few spots lower, but I actually kind of like um, having having Jacobs at that spot. He's probably okay. who I would have taken. Well, perfect. So then we more or less are in agreement with some slight variance over the first six picks, but who do you have at number seven? <sighs> this one it's, is... It gets, it gets very difficult now, I think. Yeah, I'm, I think I've not talked particularly well about this player before but i kind of just like the situation that he's in which is antonio gibson mm-hmm. um which is probably who i would end up taking i think just he is getting a little bit better at the way that he uh the way that he sees concepts developing the way that he can you know ride gaps as far as he can and then like you know a linebacker finally shows in and he's able to cut just being able to to run more patient i think is something he's gotten a little bit better at and i think this year some of his explosive potential was just kind of hurt because he um he was not as healthy as he's been before so i think if we just hope that and it's not even been like major injuries it's been a lot of just like kind of nonsense that is going to damper what he can do but still let him play which is like obviously bad from like a one-year fantasy perspective but i think for the future if he can get healthy um i think bodes really well for him because i think he is getting better at some of the the mundane just try to grind it between the tackles keep the six moving type of stuff. Whereas I think we know his explosive potential at his best is 
is really probably one of the best at the position. I mean, when he gets into the open field, he's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, and I think we know he can be a pass catcher because he literally used to be a receiver. Um, so I feel pretty good about that sense. And I think also, too, just like the Washington offense, their offensive line, I think, is a lot better than people realize that mm-hmm. it is. Um, that They've been one of the better units in the league, I think. And also just like in this whole era of like, you know, recently, I think offenses have struggled to spread to run, um, you know, like the Bills, the Chiefs. They've not been as good as it as you would think their team identity should be. Washington is actually really good at going spread to run. They have found a way to like get pulling guards um, and just like find comfort with those concepts running from shotgun formations and stuff to, um, you know, like getting tighter than I think some teams are willing to from those formations. So I kind of like the marriage of talent and scheme here, even if I still think he's a little bit of an incomplete player. Yeah. Joey Sucks was making some of those same points as you in the, in the chat. I'll say that like, I, I agree with you that I think health has been a real factor for him this season. He was dealing with shin injuries in particular in the first half, but also like while his yards per attempt hasn't really improved from before the week eight by to after it's gone from 4.0 to 3.8. He's like basically doubled his avoided tackle rate from 6.7% to 11.7%. He's also averaged 24.2 touches per game since week nine. And like, while I think some of that is the fact that JD McKissick has had a concussion and been out a couple of games. So like they maybe needed to rely on him a little bit more to me, those are both signs that point to Gibson has turned a corner with his health. And so I, I kind of am agreeing with you. Like you kind of project a little bit here cause he's never totally fully done it, but like you've seen him be an efficient runner before you feel like he's for sure. It's going to be able to contribute as a receiver in the long term. The guy was a receiver in college, like legit legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, and he's did, more or less handled work workloads. So like, I see this as a, as a pretty good option for you too. I actually had one player ahead of him on my list and it's, it's really probably more one where the fantasy value could be better than the real world value a little bit here, but Deandre Swift of the lions, 6.4 targets per game this season. That's the highest among all running backs. So like, like, I don't think it's fair to consider him like an Alvin Kamara type of impact player. And I don't think he's going to be able to survive Kamara's workloads necessarily. He's actually had some, some injury issues so far in his career. But like if you're getting six targets a game at running back, that's going to just be so insanely valuable. And while we think that Gibson could do that, like we think he has the skill set for that, like he's never come close to that. I think he's only had six targets like two or three times all season this year. So like I really like seeing that from Swift. What do you make of of the second year player for the Lions? I still think Swift is decent. I just think he falls more into a bin where like, I think purely from a PPR perspective, this might make more sense. But like mm-hmm. to me, from like a real life perspective, I wonder how much rushing volume he's ever going to get just because yeah. I think he's not that comfortable between the tackles. Um, I think he doesn't see it particularly well. And I think he just doesn't have like the body type to consistently do that the way that I mean, they have Jamal Williams on the field for a reason, right? Um, yeah. Is to be able to do that sort of stuff. And then also just from pass protection, like when he's on there on a passing down, like it, they're going to throw him the ball, which is obviously really good from a fantasy fantasy perspective, but it might cut down on the like sheer amount of passing plays he's even in for mm-hmm. because Jamal Williams is just a better pass protector than he is. So to me, I just wonder if Detroit is always going to want to have a Jamal Williams type player to compliment him as opposed to ever really giving him the, the workhorse um, type of type of role. I can see that. Was Swift in your top 10 at all? Oh, he he would have been. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, just, just like checking. you said, the, the, the passing, uh, the pass catching value is just like, if you're the best in the league at something, or if you're the most targeted in something like 
that still has value, even if I'm not sure what he is as a real life player yet. All right, we got one more guy each. I think like there's a lot of candidates for these spots. Who do you have at number nine? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't feel good about anyone really giving me that good of a floor. Um, so I think I'm kind of willing to just maybe take one of the home run swings. Um, I'll probably take the swing on J.K. Dobbins. Um, okay. I know that he's not obviously not been healthy this year. Um, and obviously the Ravens offensive line is horrendous right now. Um, <laughs> but kind of similar to the Steelers, like I have faith that they can get this turned around um, from a personnel perspective. Um, I also just think that when Dobbins was playing, uh, when he was healthier, like last year, yeah, he's just incredibly explosive, man. Like he, he's so explosive with the ball. Um, I think what, particularly when he gets to the second level, um, and I think he has a much better marriage of explosiveness and, you know, the gritty between the tackles type of stuff than any of the other guys on the Ravens roster right now. I think everyone else on that roster is kind of one or the other. And I think he fits more into a into the bin where he can do both very comfortably, um, particularly on a lot of the pulling stuff that they do. You know, he did a lot of that at, at Ohio State. And I think you just see that, like, he's very, very comfortable on a lot of the, you know, when they go counter power, that sort of stuff. He's just super, super, super comfortable running those runs. And so I think when he gets healthy, if they can fix the offensive line a little bit more, like, it's just the perfect situation, I think, for for him to be able to, to have some pretty crazy production. So that's interesting for me. Like I definitely considered Dobbins, but like the more I've seen other Ravens backs have a lot of success in this offense, the more I've wondered how much of this is a product of the system or maybe just a product of having Lamar as your quarterback. Cause like Gus Edwards is basically averaging five yards per carry in his career. And even Devonte Freeman, like straight off the scrap heap, I think he's leading running backs and rushing success percentage this season. That may not be popping quite as much from a yards per carry perspective because he's getting some of the shorter carry stuff too. But like, like it sounds to me like you're saying Dobbins has a clearly differentiating skill set. Even like this is a good situation period for any of these guys, but like Dobbins could take that to the next level as a potential featured back for the team next season. Absolutely. I, I mean, I just none of these guys to me. I think because Dobbins can provide you like the the down to down move the six sort of value, in addition to being incredibly explosive and being capable of ripping off you know thirty yard runs and stuff. I think it like changes the gravity of like what mm -hmm. defenses want to do to you. So I think part of the reason some of these guys have been able to produce this year, um, despite their offensive line being horrendous, is that teams realize like, okay, none of these running backs can really threaten us. Um, they're not really going to be able to, to take over the game um, the way that Dobbins might be able to. So we're just going to back up. We're going to play pass yeah. defense. Um, and then that, you know, mixed with, obviously Lamar Jackson continually taking gaps of his own just because you have to carry about him as a runner. I think it has just made a very um, opportunistic chance for a lot of these other running backs in the offense. Whereas I think getting Dobbins in the mix, like fundamentally changes the way that defenses have to play you. Um, which honestly, I don't know how that hurts. <laughs> that might actually in some ways hurt his fantasy value, but sure. I, I don't know to me, I think it's significantly better for the offense as a whole when a player like him is in. Well, it's definitely a reasonable pick. I really struggled at this point. Um, I'm glad, in fact, that you by I didn't have him in my top 10, so that's going to bump Clyde Edwards-Alaire out for me, which is good because I didn't really want to talk about him. <laughs> um, but for my number nine guy and the number 10 guy of our draft, I settled on Saquon Barkley. I don't feel good about it. So Barkley had 20 or more touches in 20 games his first two seasons in the league. He's had 20 touches just one time so far in 2021. Obviously, he's tore his ACL last December, and I'm kind of banking on maybe this is going to be 
if not a two-year recovery, the fact that he did it in the season last year and he kind of was coming back in less than a year, it's like, I feel like that's a tough spot. I'm hoping that the explosiveness is going to come back. But like, if you're looking at the efficiency metrics, it's really, it's, it's gone downhill pretty substantially. In 2018 and 2019, 2.8 yards per contact per attempt both seasons. He had an 11.1% avoided tackle rate in 2018, 7.4% in 2019. So far this year, 1.8 yards after contact per attempt, a full yard lower than the pre-ACL injury, 3.6% avoided tackle rate, pretty much near the bottom of the list. So it, it doesn't look good when you're looking at that stuff, but I'll also say it seems like the Giants just offensively, it's not there, right? There's just there's no threat in the passing game. All of their wide receivers have been hurt all season. I just don't think it's necessarily a fair judge of what Barkley can be in the long term, both from the health perspective and the offensive support perspective. And when he was right two years ago, I would have said that maybe he and McCaffrey were the two most valuable running backs from a, from a fantasy perspective. Still very young. Do you? I feel like it's too soon to give up on Barkley entirely. Do you feel the same way? I think it is because even if he doesn't <clears throat> look as explosive right now as I think he has in the past, I think we hope kind of like to your point, like if he gets another healthy offseason that that can turn yeah. around. Um, my concern and the reason I didn't pick him here is like to me, I think he just needs like a change of scenery. Like yeah. I think he just needs to be out of New York, um, whether that's like away from this coaching staff in particular, whether that's just I, I don't trust, you know, the front office to get a good coaching staff after these guys. Um, well, actually, it didn't seem like they wanted to fire Joe Judge anyway, but that's like a whole nother discussion. Um, but to me, it just kind of seems like he could have like a second wind elsewhere. So I don't know if I feel comfortable about him being that good next year, just in, you know, kind of like you mentioned, like, I don't think the passing game is going to get really any better next year. Um, yeah. Even if like their receivers stay healthier, like the offensive line still isn't good. And I don't think their quarterback situation is good. And I don't think their play caller situation is good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than that. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just kind of a rough situation. So I, I would be a lot more optimistic about him if I knew he was going to be out of New York this offseason, I think is my best way to put it. It's interesting because as the former first round pick, the Giants would have five years of team control. But I think that means they'll have to pick up his fifth year option this offseason. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going to do it. Like, you know, like, you know the, the team got made fun of pretty mercilessly for taking a running back second overall. But it may be pretty tough to, to you know, commit to top five type money to a guy that's going to be really showing this type of decline from efficiency perspective for a team that may be entering a full scale rebuild. Like if they move on from Daniel Jones we're starting this thing over and you know, it's maybe tough to spend so much money on a running back at that point. It's interesting. I'm curious what's going to happen, but fingers crossed that he can come back. Cause man, he was good when he was at his best. I got, there's so many guys that we didn't even bring up. Just limiting this to 10 is very difficult at running back. I mentioned Clyde Edwards, Alaire was going to be next on my list. I'll just point out statistically with him that like his big bugaboo from a fantasy perspective was the lack of touchdown scoring but for all of 2020 and then the first five weeks of 2021, four rushing touchdowns, but 6.7 expected rushing touchdowns. And that 2.7 touchdown shortfall was the sixth biggest at the position. And he's had three rushing touchdowns in his last four games. Like to me, that was a clear bad luck situation that's going to rectify going forward. He's got 2.1 yards after contact per attempt in his career. That's middle of the pack. He should be a fine touchdown scorer. And so I think in the long term, that's going to work out, even if he's not necessarily a first round talent the way that he was drafted to be. Mm -hmm. Other guys that could potentially be on the list, David Montgomery, Elijah Mitchell, really like what I've seen from him this season. A.J. Dillon, who seems like he's probably going to be a star eventually. You're just questioning 
if he's ever going to have the chance to be like a number one workload type of guy. Cam Akers, a player that I think you could potentially put in that J.K. Dobbins bucket. Travis Akers was Akers was actually almost my other pick for <laughs> basically the, the Dobbins reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had Akers there originally ahead of Edwards Alaire too. But then mm-hmm. like when you actually dig into the metrics, it's like kind of hard to make the case. Like it, it's tough to know. He just didn't really have a ton of playing time last year to, right. to really even in create a fair opinion about it. Travis Etienne missed the entire season this season, but he seems like he could be a DeAndre Swift type of player with a lot of fantasy value with his receiving. Michael Carter, who I think of as baby Alvin Kamara, but I'm totally biased because I went to UNC. James Robinson, get Urban Meyer out of there and, and talk to me about that. Uh, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Tony Pollard, everybody's favorite player to, to tout for the Cowboys. Maybe he gets a chance in the future to be a primary starter. Uh, Miles Gaskin, Miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson, Khalil Herbert. A lot of guys under 26 at the position. Does one of those jump out to you as, as maybe the one that, that we could be sleeping on, limiting this to a top 10 list? Uh, I mean, like I said, I almost took Acres, which um, that that was more just a matter of uh, – it seems like if the, if the Rams are going to keep Stafford, maybe they just don't want to run the ball as much. So maybe that, that was kind of a little bit my concern there. Um my other favorite from here might just be Michael Carter, um, yeah. kind of for the, the same reasons of, of Swift. <laughs> we're like, I don't know if I trust the offensive line. Um, I don't know if I trust the Jets as an organization, but like, I think Carter is going to continue to get a ton of receiving work um, whenever he's healthy. And I think truthfully, he's a lot better runner in between the tackles than than Swift has ever been. I think, you know, mm-hmm. like to your point, he kind of is like a baby Camara, like a, you know, an 85%, 90% version of Camara. So um, if the Jets can somehow be competent even a little bit, I, I think he can probably be a really good player. <laughs> big F. Tough, yeah, show big for, F. For the, <laughs> tough, tough show for the New York market. Uh, hate to see that for the guys. Uh, Derek, before we head out for the day, let's circle back to some of these questions we've gotten in the YouTube chat. Again, thanks for everybody that's been following along and asking us questions and just participating in general. We're Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch us live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. So circling back, Charlie asks, start two in flex and wide receiver two spots in PPR format. He's got Claypool, Devontae Parker, Valdez Scantling. He could also pick up Alan Lazard and Rashad Penny off the waiver wire. So like of the wide receivers, I think the answer is Chase Claypool. Like I know that he was kind of scapegoated a bit for the Steelers' inability to come back and win that game last uh, Thursday. But Claypool, his target share has definitely been on the rise of late. He's been dealing with is it turf toe? I feel like he's got an injury that he's definitely been playing through, but I think he's maybe turning a little bit of a corner. And I just, I trust his target share more than Devonte Parker's definitely more than Valdez Scantling's Lazard. I don't know. We'll see with the slot conversion. Maybe he's on the rise too, but Claypool of the receivers is, is the guy for me. What about you? Yeah, I think Claypool is the, is the clear one here. Um, I would probably roll with MVS for the for the other spot, um, mm-hmm. just because I think the explosive potential is is probably the best among you know the non Claypool options here. I mean that that Packers offense is very good at throwing the ball down the field, and he's you know MVS is like kind of Rogers' favorite guy down there, so that would probably be my two guys. Yeah, and we've discussed how Penny could be in a really difficult matchup this week against yeah. the Rams. Do you know who the Packers are playing this week? Uh, can you I look that up? Look that yeah. up while I go to the other question because I think the other question was Green Bay related as well. They play the Ravens, who <laughs> do not have players in the secondary right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, that's so. that's getting a little more intriguing. Hearing that for sure. Yeah. Um, scrolling up, we also have Marcos Valdez is asking in a half PPR format. 
you've got uh, Corderell Patterson or T Higgins. Um, for me, Patterson, I know it's, it, I still can't quite believe it, but like he's ranking as like a top five running back and wide receiver for me every week in half PPR formats. It doesn't really make any sense, but he is a number one running back. He is like top 10 to 12 at his position, assuming you call his position running back and target share. He's scoring all the touchdowns. Mike Davis is basically the least efficient runner in the game. Like I think Patterson's totally safe. And like Higgins has been on a little bit of a heater lately, but I think at best he's sort of a split number one guy with, with uh, Jamar chase and like chase is, is more explosive. So like Higgins to me is like a back end wide receiver too. And Patterson's is just more valuable than that. Yeah. To me, I mean, Patterson, the, vo- the volume he's going to get, I think is just kind of outrageous. And, and even like with the current state of the offense, he's just one of their best scorers too. So I think that's probably how I would put it. Yeah. Okay. And then at quarterback, he's asking between uh, Herbert and, and um, Aaron Rodgers, And this is why I wanted to know who, who the, the Packers were playing this week. And, and frankly, given the state of the health of their team, you have to think that Rodgers is the better matchup. Like I know earlier in the year, we were like this chief's defense is just the worst in the league, but at this point, with all the players that they have back, uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. But interestingly, Herbert, I've consistently had a, a head of Rodgers from a true talent perspective, a quarterback. So like to me, if I'm making the flip, it's going to be matchup related. I don't know if I can make the call just off the top of my head. This may be one where you should circle back and see what my projections say. I'll have those done by the end of the day. But do you have a snap judgment in your mind, Derek? I actually feel pretty comfortable taking Rodgers here just because um, – I do think the chief defense is playing a lot better. Um, I also think with the way that Spagnolo does a good job bringing pressures against a pretty like whatever charges offensive line, especially their right side. I yeah. think that could, could potentially give some issues or maybe just not allow Herbert to have this superhero game. Whereas I think like Rogers, like he's playing the most banged up secondary in the league. It feels like, um, and it's also like a secondary that plays very much like, gash or be gash like they're gonna punch you at the line of scrimmage and if you can beat them right off the bat they're just done so i think when you have players like um adams and mbs like that is very primed to me to having some some pretty good uh plays also like the ravens run defense is getting better over the years so i don't know if the packers are going to want to lean on that Mm -hmm. um as opposed to just letting rogers just kill them through the air it's interesting. I also want to look at, I haven't actually looked at this, but this could be relevant for maybe for my start and sit article. I wonder if Herbert has extreme home road splits because like playing at home in the dome is such a huge benefit to so many quarterbacks, but like he kind of has the Mahomesian type of game that you feel like could probably work in the elements. And the fact that he has like zero home field support from fans, I don't know. Like I, I need to look into that and, and then maybe add that to the start and sit article this week. That's going to be a close one. So get back to me later in the week on that. All right, Derek, I think that probably wraps up everything we have going on here. So why don't you tell everybody what you have going on at Football Outsiders and elsewhere this week that they can check out? Yeah, so I'll have my film room up later in this week. I think I actually might be doing something on like Dallas's pressure packages um, that they brought against Washington, which I thought were really, really interesting. They were some scary, scary team with with all of their bodies back. And they, they yes. can move Par- Parsons back to outside linebacker now. And man, that's especially that's that first half. Rush. That first half was, oh my God. <laughs> Um, and then I also have some, some gambling stuff over at odds checker and then bleacher report. We are starting to really turn in a lot of our, uh, scouting reports, like finalizing stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to start having, you know, publishing some stuff at the beginning of next month. So, um, yeah, just get ready for that. 
That all sounds great. I encourage everybody to check that out. Everywhere Derek does work is really great. Love the film room stuff he does at Football Outsiders as well. And one final time, I'll mention FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week. So go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to check that out. Come back tomorrow to hear Aaron, Mike Tanier, and um, I'm not sure who the, the Wednesday guest. It may be JP Acosta doing the Ask Me Anything uh, segment. You can send them questions too. They'll be happy to answer those. And then I'll be back this Friday previewing all of the games from both the real world and a, and a DFS perspective for week 15. So look forward to talking to everybody then. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week.